All right, so you want to talk about um, where you want to take this podcast, or direction? Right? Okay, yeah, so today is because it's a new year, we're going to discuss about podcast trajectory. This is going to be a, yeah, a planning podcast. Do you have any big ideas? I had zero ideas. That's really good. <laughs> That's the same number that I had as well. Nice, okay, so then we're, we're going to pull stuff out of thin air um, online. Um, I think I think that makes sense. This this uh, episode of the podcast is what the podcast podcast is going to be about. I like that. Yeah. I think right, you so, know. Yeah, exactly. I you think know, I, in, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You you start. Uh, you go for it. I, I think uh, we both enjoy uh, talking about topics larger than we can actually think about. So I think that's a good component to it. It's like let's slap 50 minute conversations about uh, the nature of existence in there I, uh-huh. I, I really want to keep that in like I, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun just shooting the shit in that sense yeah yeah and also um, based on how much fact checking is being required to adjust for it to kind of deal with the fact that we are in the deep end been really funny um, in terms yeah of- so I I like what you did for episode three or four well, you did the rata thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that should be an aspect. I am a bit wary of making it a chore for you to sort of have to follow up on the facts. It's actually really, it's actually really fun. Uh, but in oh. the end, actually what it ends up being is that the material that I come across ends up being great material for, like the material where I end up going to to get the facts, those mm-hmm. sources that the, it would have been great material to have had prior to actually discuss about. Mm-hmm. I like... It, like a few examples like um, I was looking in a bit more last time we were talking about um, story generation and I mm-hmm. sent you a few of those but I came across this person that had done a lot of experiments with story generation in GPT-3 and done some really interesting stuff so it's you know it's actually sort of like post podcast it's quite interesting to, to have that source but pre-podcast if we'd had that source and be able to actually talk about it and mention it would have also been quite, quite cool. So, so I don't know, a bit of chicken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we could experiment with something like this. We could uh, maybe wait one or more two recordings, and then we can accumulate all the errata that you find found. Then we can have an episode where you just go through the things that we had misconceptions about, and you explain what the issues were. Oh, that's that, pretty that actually good idea. Yeah, that's actually quite nice. I like that. So we almost essentially clean ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it also sort of like breaks up the format as well, and uh, I really like the idea of like fixing common misunderstandings. I think that's one of the main things I'd like to do more of in my in my life. Is like, you know, mm. people think that the world works in a certain way, but very often our conceptions about how the world works come from like outdated beliefs about things, right? Mm-hmm. And scientific progress moves at such a fast pace that it's very often like things that seem to be very established truths are actually, you know, like 30, 40 years behind what the current scientific thinking is. Uh, yeah. And, you know, being able to sort of reconcile at least a tiny part of that, I think, sounds like a very, very cool thing. Mm. Yeah, I see what you mean. Essentially, it makes us a bit more dynamic. Um, and also um, 
yeah it, it, so it, you're essentially kind of incorporating the, the dynamic of i understand what what's the what's the what's my current understanding i my understanding is 30 40 years behind let's look mm -hmm. at the modern material that corrects me corrects myself and or whatever i said and then now present that modern material and you're almost going through the stages that any person would do if they had the exactly time yeah to do it mm -hmm. to kind of get themselves to whatever the state yeah, they are the really big issue is like when somebody an expert comes and tells you this is like this and this and this and you know like it's really useful for uh, learning you learn a lot faster by just consuming the information but yeah. um oftentimes you still at the back of your head think of like why is it like this i thought it was like this my intuition tells me that you know um well, let me think of an example like you know the benjamin franklin effect uh, uh cognitive thing. like if yeah. i ask you a favor you're more likely to uh, yeah. uh, think better of me, like think that we're friends and things like that. Um, this is just a good example of like, you know, cognitive biases are things that very often come up as, you know, our intuition often betrays what the actual facts are. So that's so why I think, I'm like, asking so many favors of me. I get it now. All the time, yeah. I just, my, like it our is. chat history, just like, hey Leo, I came, can you buy some eggs? <laughs> Man, I'm like 5,000 kilometers away from you. What are you talking about? But you still deliver. I still do. I still you, I you could, get some you could do it a bit quicker, I think, but like, that's fine. We'll work on that. Wow. There's also this sort of, um, I don't know what psychological effect that is, but you kind of, you tell, you give me sort of. Um, it's you, nagging. Yeah, nagging. Yeah, exactly. You just, that's, I don't know. That's <laughs> Yeah, we'll go with it. That's what I was going to say, but I thought that wasn't a great one. But yeah, you essentially nagging me. I'm like, wow. I'm, Come <laughs> and ask me for things, but I've got to try harder next time. <laughs> it works perfectly. I, wait, uh, okay, wait. Let's go back to what you were saying there, because I cut that one off. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, sorry. So yeah, uh, I think uh, having a casual conversation about things and not being too worried about making a mistake uh, really hmm. helps bring out what is a normal mistake to make. You know, like if, if we're talking about um, nuclear physics, and I have no fucking clue what's happening, here, right? And uh, you know, most of my knowledge is from like fucking a Facebook video I saw two years ago or something like that. Uh, the mistakes I make will be mostly, you know, like th basically the first mistakes you can make as you're uh, coming into the topic, things that you're you're experiencing uh you know the, the dunning kruger effect right the, the less you know about something okay the less you know about oh, yes, something, yes. the, the go, uh, ahead, more explain. you think you know about it yeah. right and i think there are these very common mistakes about certain topics where you feel like you have a good understanding of something just because you don't know enough about it right and in natural conversations these things will these things will pop up a lot more frequently, which then gives us the opportunity to address them and like find mm -hmm. what the common misconceptions are about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that sound reasonable? Like, yeah, that sounds very reasonable. I think to add to that, there's also a part that I like about it is I do find that um, upon correcting myself on something, I 
usually draw my attention to it a bit more, which actually uh, improves the learning process for myself. Like, for example, will you ever forget that the speed of light is at uh, that's that this will you ever forget the speed of sound in a vacuum? Um, for example, sorry, no, 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 the speed of this. I've already thrown it away a whole example away. The um, speed of uh, um, radio electromagnetic waves. Wave. Yeah, radio yeah, waves. And right, I mean, and that's, 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 that's a good uh, example because I remember we spoke about it, and I, I think you did say that in vacuum they move at the speed of light. Okay, okay, maybe it was because I wrote down it in the amendment, so I wouldn't forget. That that's fair enough. So maybe maybe your learning is is better, and that's where the sort of brief come back to it episode comes in because like you remember it having written it, but I you know just had a scheme over it and didn't really get into it so when we come back with that episode you're like welcome and you said this but you are actually incorrect this is the actual fact and uh -huh. you shame me on like <laughs> a recorded wait that's actually quite a cool way. idea it's like yeah you could oh i don't know maybe this is dumb and uh, maybe we won't have enough for that but you could almost like no it would be more fun to talk about it but you could essentially just do quick fire question on the actual um uh, uh, on the on whatever we're trying to correct, that that was just factual, mm. in the sense of like, hey, we said uh, what's the what's the speed of um, radio waves in a vacuum? We said this. What do you think it is? So, but of course, there are some parts that we better talk about, but that'd be kind of fun to um, to go through. But uh, yeah, I think no, I think that's a good idea. I actually like that idea a lot um, because. Um, the more and more I look at material, especially after you mentioned it when we started this, um, the more I realize how how polished and um, censored a lot of materials, not necessarily in a bad way, yeah. um, but censored in the sense that there's the work put in to get to that point is um, mm -hmm. it's kind of summarized uh, uh, in, in, a, in, in a much smaller context and especially strips off a lot of, it's, it's usually the surface, strips off a lot of the work required to get there. And you also just see this a lot in like history and especially in scientific achievements. It's usually much easier to summarize a body of work by a single name or a single event. It kind of, mm -hmm. kind of is the kind of zenith of the whole, whole group of events. Um, and it's just, I think it's just easier for us to do that. But uh, actually in the end, yep. it's out a lot of the context. And so by doing this, we kind of, Emphasize, emphasizing the dynamic on it's okay to be have zero understanding and completely completely incorrect about what you, you be be completely I'd say maybe not incorrect is the word but have um, a outdated or poor understanding of what you're talking about with some incorrections but if you go through and correct yourself and make sure that you're making those corrections public and that you're very open about it then uh, mm -hmm. the process is totally fine. Um, and that everyone should do that because I feel like there's a lot of pressure, especially to be very correct the first time and not be incorrect. Um, in yes, yeah. So uh, th that's exactly it. I think we've sort of brushed up against this a bit before, but I'm really interested in exploring the the mistake as a concept, right? Like as you said, uh, most of the media that we receive, whether it be like YouTube videos or like you know Facebook profiles are these yeah. really censored, clean, cleared out, perfected versions of uh, 
things. I'm really interested in in you know exploring the the process leading up to something and uh, especially you know the trial and error of these things and you know like having a misconception is an example of of, of an error you know like I thought this worked this way but I was actually wrong it works this other way um, and you actually really uh, struck on, on something else that I'm really interested in as well it's like this tendency of humans to uh, try to synthesize everything into individual events or people or something like that so like the common examples are in science you represent you know the entirety of 20th century physics with einstein's four papers for example not realizing that he didn't just you know wake up one day and be like i've invented physics he made like a leap it was a leap greater than a lot of other leaps but it was still less, like not inconceivable for people with his level of knowledge of the field and his level of experience um, and you just brush up everybody else the same way you sort of when you think about a company like Tesla you think about Elon Musk just you know almost sitting there constructing each car individually yeah. and everybody yeah. else just like <laughs> existing nebulously around just watching him do the, do the process exactly so, exactly yeah. so that's the other thing is um I really dislike this modern approach on like the way success almost feels like successful people are flawless and perfect and they can achieve so much more than everybody else with just as much effort or like slightly more effort whereas yeah. all very often it's like powered by this engine underneath the surface that like churns like crazy all these uh, mm -hmm. other scientists who never made this as big you know like showing negative results for example you know like how in, in in science negative results are very rarely actually appreciated and paving yeah. the way for somebody to you know just take the high road middle thing um yeah exactly and i feel i do feel at times also there's some people so so there's some people like for example that do um end up seeing the limelight or something and 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 shadow other people that were all or close to the result or we're also working in the same field but there are also some people i you could say the maybe the as going along with your example the the, the groundwork at tesla that don't necessarily aspire to that limelight. and so i feel like there's a tendency for those that are both working on their personal pr and the work they're doing to actually end up getting to that point mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. getting to that public representation um we're getting a better public name for themselves and i feel like by emphasizing the groundwork that's usually done, required that that person is building upon, um, kind of helps normalize this domain a bit and actually not, you know, essentially appreciate these people that are eventually part of the groundwork and all the work required to get to this full body work without um, uh, them necessarily, I don't know, them necessarily need to put in the work themselves to do it. I don't yeah, know. And on that point, I think it's an admirable, like my personal opinion is that it's an admirable quality to not want to be famous and universally loved and, you know, just being yeah. fine, existing and doing the things that you think are right without necessarily getting universal recognition for that, right? Uh, there's this yeah. old saying of like, nobody who wants to be president should be president, right? Like, this thing of like, the best person to govern, uh, country would probably be a person who doesn't really care 
for the recognition that they personally get, uh, but they're more like selfless and are trying to do it for the people around them, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. That sort of thing. Um, so I, I definitely think there's there's some value to, you know, trying to battle this this trend of trying to drive the narrative of like having exceptional superhero people that yeah there's this thing of like history um i I forget what it's called but like is history defined by key individuals or are key individuals just people who found themselves in the right time in the right place right like if napoleon wasn't napoleon but was somebody else would he still have achieved what he achieved was it just that you know like the tensions were just arranged in the right way I guess I see it. That's kind of interesting um, when you say, so when you say if the point wasn't for you, but someone else, as in there was, because I, I don't know, when I when I see history, I think of each human as like just a bunch of particles interacting, almost like a dynamical system. Mm-hmm. And when you say Napoleon doesn't exist for you, someone else, you're saying, what, what's that, what does that mean? Like, there would still be someone in the Napoleon position, but it's not Napoleon or... Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, I think it's difficult to answer the question exactly because it's, it's difficult to frame it, but the way I would frame it is like, Im- imagine that somebody else found themselves in the situation that Napoleon was in prior to, uh, you know, becoming the leader of France, right? And who, at what point prior is difficult to say, but because mm-hmm. uh, because it's difficult to say, you know, what the sequence of events led up to that were. But yeah. um, all right, uh, let me let me try to give an example, one which I can argue about more, because I don't know that much about Napoleon. Like say there's um, okay, say World War One. They say that a mm-hmm. key event of World War One is um, in Austria Hungary. There was the death of um, the assassination of uh, a uh, no. Okay, I thought that was gonna be a good one, but I forgot his name. Uh, um, <laughs> this is where your errata episode uh, comes in. Okay, 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 okay. No, we can, we can. Okay, we can bring in some. I think Americans will love this. Um, the Pearl Harbor. No, that's not a single person. That's not a key individual. No, no, no. Um, I'm trying to think of like a single event that gets... All right, all right, okay. Here's one. If the opponent of Churchill had won the elections during the Second World War, would Britain have done, you know, anywhere near as well as it did? Right? It's like Mm -hmm. most people's immediate reaction would be like, no, Churchill was incredibly key for the you know persistence of the country he gave these amazing speeches that held the country together throughout like the insane amount of like bombings that happened yeah. uh, throughout that period um so the one way to look at it is like you know churchill is a key person in history that without him history would have been completely different right mm-hmm. But another way to look at it is like he was just he had the right conditions under which to exhibit those you know uh, qualities of his right. It's like mm. 
if at the time he had been like 30 years younger, for example, he wouldn't have been able to become the prime minister of the country. Right? He yeah. wouldn't have had like enough experience and clout in the political party and stuff like that. So he would not have been able to achieve the goals that he wanted. Now, if somebody else had become prime minister, he would have been given similar opportunities to him. Would they have been able to take advantage of them as well? Right? We don't know. We can't really know. But I think it sort of like frames this view, which I think is, is, is pretty relevant, like key people defining the whole of the way the world evolves, like having sort of, oh, you know, it's, it's the superhero narrative, like having these unique individuals throughout society that will achieve great things and all of us, like the rest, you know, just are there to support them. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I'm seeing a, because I, I, I like, because I feel that framing gives a lot of, um, em gives a lot of emphasis to the individual having sort of, I don't know, it gives a lot of emphasis, it almost gives a lot, it, may, it gives a lot of emphasis to free will, like, in a sense that if, if you could roll back and cut and splice someone in the place where someone mm -hmm. could make a different decision, would they have made the different decision? And could you actually have cut and splice someone into this place? Or has the system sort of like, okay, so say, say though a wave is crashing and you pull out a water particle and replace a water particle in the crashing mm -hmm. wave, would the wave mm -hmm. crash differently? That's a really good analogy. Yeah, exactly. Right. But I see a different analogy that maybe a bit better than a crashing wave, which is, like um, quite a cool experiment they do with um, earthquake analysis and sand um, sand avalanches where they get a table of sand and they just drop individual particles of sand onto a table and the, mm. um, the size of the avalanches on the sand pile kind of are logarithmic in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, Every so often, you will get an extremely large avalanche, and, every, and very often you'll get um, very small avalanches. Mm. And um, but all sand pieces are of the same size, um, and they land uniformly randomly on this pile. And so I do feel as if, um, in that sense, that kind of makes me feel as if um, there the weight that a single individual has is kind of a bit like a sand pile maybe in the sense that the i don't know do you see what i'm getting at in the sense yeah, that i feel I, as if it does yeah good jump in can i try to because i really like the sand pile thing i think that's a really cool uh, analogy and in that one it's sort of like saying like every individual sand grain sand grain is more or less the same it's not the shape of the sand grain that it matters it's the location uh, with respect to all the other sun grains that it lands to. So it's mm -hmm. sort of this thing of like environment is the entire determiner of everything, right? Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you think about like the Lorentz attractor or like the butterfly effect, it's the exact initial conditions of the situation that propagates like the unique qualities of, of this particular thing that determine the outcome to an entire extent. And then the question is yeah. like, are we in the sound scenario or are we in the butterfly scenario? Hmm. 
Um, so with this, with the butterfly scenario, you're essentially the initial perturbing the initial conditions, because because with the because with because with the butter with the Lorenz attractor scenario, we have a general attractor shape that we're going to fall within. Uh, small perturbances within that shape doesn't really change the high level behavior, but the trajectory is still different. But large perturbances, we could just fly out of this butterfly. All right, so maybe. Maybe the Lorenz attractor is not a good example. Do you have a good example of like chaos theory things of like, oh, the, the double pendulum, right? The double pendulum, yeah. if I have a slight perturbation of the initial conditions, the trajectory will be entirely different, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so that's, that's what I meant. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it also holds the Lorenz attractor. I was thinking about it, I, was, I just framed it differently. But um, yeah, the double pendulum, so slight perturbances, like cut and paste. Winston Churchill put in someone else or his opponent, um, and the unrolling of the dynamics is completely, um, completely different. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it would be interesting to see what is the epsilon at 2020 versus like whenever Winston Churchill was voted into power. You know how far has history deviated, and it would be interesting. It oh, is actually quite a, interesting. That's a very interesting thing. Is like you're saying that this is not a static thing throughout history, which I think is very reasonable. Obviously the first human being had much more effect on the you know history of humanity than somebody today mm -hmm. uh, like an average your average person today well mm -hmm. um so that does suggest that you know as the number of humans increases each individual human's potential for disrupting the entirety of humanity decreases but that sort of comes in contradiction oh. with the fact that each person's capabilities increases, technology develops, right? So somebody's capacity to develop a biological weapon that exterminates the whole of life on Earth right now is much, yeah. much higher than, you know, a person's was a hundred or a thousand years ago. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually quite interesting. I mean, you, it's, it's quite... Uh, I'm struggling to, I'm, the reason why I'm slightly struggling with this, so I, I think that's actually quite interesting, but you roll it back to say the first and first civilization, you say, would any change in that civilization result in the biochemical weapons we developed in 2018 mm. or something? Um, ah, I see, I see. You know, that's, mm. that's, and if it doesn't, if, if the biochemical weapons you converge to are usually based on the largely based on the environment you're in the ecosystem and the changing of people in a society doesn't have much effect like the, the civilization then maybe that's maybe that's fine um when i say environment sorry i mean like the the environment the planet like what you're what you're working oh no it, i think like the reason why i'm struggling with this i feel like we're kind of going in circles because of the fact that i feel like we're, we're, we're kind of essentially talking about dynamical systems and chaos theory and mm -hmm. the idea that humans have any agency in this is, I, I, see, I don't think there's any free will, so I feel like the idea that there's any agency here is out of the question and it's just particles interacting and that's just interesting to kind of play with mm -hmm. what particles you can pull in and out of the system. But I think it's like asking the same question of if a certain tree didn't grow in my backyard, would uh US drop a bomb on uh Poland. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think 
free, free will doesn't necessarily ha uh, come into play here because of exactly the knowledge you give of this like sand or like the molecule in the wave of like mm -hmm. the molecule doesn't have f uh, free will it doesn't you know decide what it is so even if we assume that yeah. humans are deterministic things still different humans have different reactions to things like uh, because of their prior experiences yeah exactly um yeah i i but yeah actually there the interesting part though and that's what we were talking about the interesting part though is how cutting uh, how removing and replacing certain key individuals in history can change the dynamics more or less change the outcomes mm -hmm. more or less mm -hmm. and that's what we're kind of looking at and whether those key individuals who we give a lot of weight to having affected the dynamics of history should be um given as yeah. much weight as they are mm -hmm. i should winston Churchill and the leaders in power given as much weight when they could just be a sand falling on a very um uh, fragile yeah, exactly. yeah. Mm -hmm. right and uh I, yeah like but it's it's it, right now we're right now we're in a position where we very much i don't know maybe it's just an, an a um a testament of how we like to understand things but we definitely like to place a label on something and definitely mm -hmm. like to identify something like if we identified key um events in world war ii by the the the, the time of social unrest and like the average household person sort of behavior it's a bit weird rather than you know putting on five leaders from five countries as kind of the names the names of those the, the mm -hmm. leaders of those countries it seems a bit easier to sort of work with and kind of manipulate as a Definitely, piece. yeah so right yeah another example is like you can't really understand everything that's happening in tesla the companies you just have mm -hmm. a proxy of it which is the face of the company which is usually the ceo of it yeah exactly and so is there i don't know it's an interesting question is there a space for switching that is there a space for essentially changing the way in which we like so there's a couple things like for example uh, there's a sci-fi award um given out uh i think the last time it was given out was a couple years ago because again i have to go into the fact checking section after this mm -hmm. but uh because i not good names but um anyway it was given out to a specific scientist a specific sorry sci-fi author that is right now i want to i want to guess that but i don't want to get it wrong because the author so the the, the sci-fi author essentially founded a sci-fi magazine and eventually had an award named after themselves because they're quite prolific sci-fi author mm -hmm. um and they you know they date back to like the 1930s or something so they're quite, mm -hmm. quite dated sci-fi author but um it came up recently that the author was a fascist misogynist and racist right and so the um despite them having these prolific work uh, in the end um, when the reward was presented two years ago, the person receiving the award essentially denounced the reward and mm -hmm. the name of the reward, saying that this person doesn't represent the body of work we have now. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's like, there's two parts here. Yeah, you know, the fact that a racist, misogynist, fascist, etc., is a bad thing, especially in our society. And, um, uh, and it's even at that time that they were, you know, they could have known better, eventually. Um, but we put a label of the reward as their name. So, so we name the reward after them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be actually the core of the issue itself, is actually naming a reward after someone. And should we be doing stuff like this? Should we, you know, preserve someone's name in a reward? Should we have the Churchill reward? Should we have the ex-sci-fi author's name reward? Or should mm-hmm. we be more general about our rewards? Um, awards or whatever, you know, this is just an award context, but we could definitely put this, you know, uh, with other examples. And uh, is that part of the issue as to why we enjoy, uh, um, you know, using names? Yeah, you, you get what I'm sort of saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we spoke about this last time as well, right? It's like oh, we did. That, attribution okay. of... Um, yeah, like uh, legacy and what it means to leave a legacy. Uh, it, it's it's a it, it's an interesting thing. It does feed into you know this sort of representing bodies of work with individuals, and therefore you know it, it makes sense to sort of represent branches of different things, awards for branches of different things with mm. those key individuals. I personally am of the opinion that we should do that. M- like less so than we currently are doing it i feel like especially with globalization because um humans can only keep track of x many things uh at the same time you know this has become more severe of like there's you know entire areas that your proxy to is just one individual and you obviously can't know everything about everything. Seven billion people are like seven point three billion people uh, are way, way too many to keep track of. Um, but I'm dissatisfied with with our current solution to the problem. Uh, I feel I actually like, remember now that we did touch on this quite a lot last time, and I don't want to drag us down back to the same yeah. path. Mm-hmm. I had the. Mm-hmm. Post New Year uh, memory wipe that usually happens. That's good. That's good. I've yeah. reset my memory. Uh, I mean, we can just keep recording the same podcast over and over again. Uh, we just need what twenty six different topics to go over for an hour each, and then we hit the reset button every time. Wait, I, that 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 joke is lost on me. Why twenty six? What's the? Because we're doing it once every two weeks, right? Oh, so right. There's going to be 26 episodes per year. 26 episodes, yeah, 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 yeah I get it There are podcasts like that, right? Like, there's podcasts restarted. of people watching they the just, same Where bad they have movie. repetitive, oh, same bad movie. What over and over again. And, uh, you know, on their 37th watch, they find something new, and it's, like, the biggest thing ever. You know, like, they notice that the extra in the background had their, like, shoe untied or something like that, and then they spend an hour talking about that. Where, where do they, so, so this is, what, <laughs> so, so the podcast is based around watching a movie and then like going into deep, deep, deep conversation. It's usually animals. like very bad movies, uh, wow. you know, something that you barely manage to get through on your first watch and then you have to watch it again and again. So it's, 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 it's sort of like descent into madness. It's quite enjoyable, I think. Uh, as a, as a concept. Oh, how did they pull so much material out of just uh, just good good speakers? It's, it's difficult. Films. It's difficult. You have to be. You, have, you do have to have talent. Probably more talent than the people who make the bad movies. <laughs> is that being able to get much much more entertainment to squeeze much more entertainment out of 
something else. I love shoelace being untied. That's pretty impressive. Um, no, I don't actually listen to many, I don't actually listen to many podcasts, but it sounds like you covering quite a variety of podcasts because I didn't even know something like that existed. Probably my best, my f most favorite pastime when I'm not lazy is just walking around, like uh, taking a walk and listening to something. Uh, okay. Usually a podcast, yeah, because uh, it really allows you to keep your mind focused on something that you are currently considering while being able to refer to the podcast whenever, you know, you finish your thought and like want a, a bit of entertainment. Because oh, so you kind of view not... the podcast running and then you pull, you jump into it and actually kind of, sometimes you're just completely unaware of the podcast. Yeah, because if it's a story, if it's like an audiobook, you need to keep your attention on it at all times, right? Mm -hmm. But the podcast is a much more free-form, natural conversation that has a lot of almost like dead air. It's not really dead air because, you know, that gets uh, cut out, but... You know, there's nothing like absolutely quintessential to your understanding happening at any point in time, right? So you can yeah. afford to lapse your attention from the podcast and like have a thought about, you know, the thing that you're considering at the moment. Yeah, I see. So if someone were to be listening to this now and they jumped in with their attention at this point, they would think that we're talking about podcasts. Uh, exactly, like uh, somebody could could listen to this from episode four and would not really miss out on you know. Yeah, we have like no sort of needing the context of, of the first episode. Yeah, I think that's context. nice. Like, yeah, yeah, I I I do enjoy that. And you just uh, select you. How do you find the podcast? Just random sampling these, or I mean, oh, that's I a mean, that's a good question. I, I gotta say, I was content? just to, just to pretext that a bit. I was looking through top podcasts, and um, I did notice that one of the top podcasts was Lexis. Lexis? Uh, um, hold on, hold on. No, this time I'm not going to not get the name because um, I'm just going to Google here. Uh, Lex Friedman. Oh, Lex Friedman's. Is yeah, that on the top? Is it? It's one of the top That's podcasts. I am not it, a fan of that podcast. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't. I, we won't push it too far, but I, there's. Yeah, it just kind of that's. Uh, he seems to get a large number of people on his podcast that are quite interesting, but you know, it surprised me that just looking at the pod, top podcast doesn't seem the way to go in terms of finding good podcasts. Yeah, so the way there's a larger conversation to be had, like how do you discover content and like how do you tailor your content? There's you yeah. know there's been a revolution in that. Like my parents watch the TV and the TV just presents them with content that they have no choice over, right? Our generation has gotten incredibly accustomed to just being able to select what we watch, listen to, uh, and consume in general, right? Uh -huh. So we could talk strategy about like strategies of selection. Of, of, of content, how much do you let yourself be influenced by the recommendation algorithms, for example, that, you know, just feed you a constant stream of content. Uh, but to answer your original question before we potentially dive into that, if, if you're interested in doing so, um, with podcasts, um, I think it's quite often word of mouth. You know, like word of mouth is, is the best way to, to market your thing like if somebody recommends you know the the the, 
the thing you've created to one of their friends, there's no better advertisement than that, right? Like, it, it has a much higher success rate than anything else ever. Yeah. Um, but there's also almost this concept of like word of mouth from the past podcasters themselves because they present their personalities in a fairly authentic ways. Right? Um, if you consume enough of the content that they produce, you almost feel like you get to know them a bit and then you get to know their interests. So when they recommend something, uh, you know that it's much more likely to, to be something that you like. Mm-hmm. Right? So because there's no corporate filter between you, I, uh, I feel like there's a much higher level of trust in what they recommend. That's interesting because it's essentially, I see that person recommendation essentially, I, there's other qualities I can incorporate into that recommendation. I, what I know about your personality uh, or character that I, that I add to that recommendation. Mm -hmm. And by that, it actually gives me an easier kind of landscape to make a decision by. Like say, for example, I'm reading an article by the Atlantic and I read the article, I think, okay, it's got persuasive. Um, it's a persuasive arg- uh, argument in it, but I don't know anything about the author. I don't know. I know. I don't know mm-hmm. the character of the author. Knowing the character of the author probably could also have a uh, stronger influence on how I go about. Like, say the article recommends me something. How do I go about um, following through with those recommendations too? Yeah, so it just gives you a, more, a larger basis of kind of evidence or things to kind of pull from in terms of the recommendation. Because I definitely have friends who, if they recommended me content, I probably wouldn't, <laughs> mm-hmm. probably wouldn't go through the, well, if it was on a certain side of a certain field, I wouldn't mm-hmm. go through the content because I know the content would probably be equivalent to just if I got the top search for Google for that same field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, interesting. Speaking of the Atlantic, I think that, like, I, I want to put a caveat to what I said is like, I take this approach mainly with things related to entertainment because, you know, like sort of the more scientific, uh, devoid of feelings way of like doing things regarding, you know, news, like facts and things like that, it does work better. So you can't really like with a news site, right? Probably the closest I've been to falling into an echo chamber is when I used Reddit quite a lot. Because, you know, it felt like I was part of this community sort of thing. And that definitely, you know, resulted in me adopting some conceptions that were quite untrue, like unreasonable, right? Like sort of, it really depends on what your goal is. Like, I think with entertainment, it's quite easy to just say, you know, you can just go for whatever you like because the purpose of entertainment is your enjoyment. And you obviously can go for whatever you like with news. Um, for example, with this person from the Atlantic, if you had, if you knew who the reporters were, I think you would be much more inclined to agree or disagree with particular articles based on who wrote them, which then, you know, detracts from the validity of the actual stuff written in the article. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's probably why they on purpose very rarely have, you know, profiles of, of the authors who've written piece. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah, because I do feel like this, everything said before up to this point, it's very much following with entertainment and just, mm-hmm. you know, what I enjoy consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, 
yeah, and and I think new. Well, let me think about this actually for a second. I definitely agree with you on the side of, you know, if we're dealing with say scientific topics and scientific um, projects and research. Yeah, this this sort of my friend recommend me a paper versus a paper recommending a paper feels mm. very different. Mm. Um, but in terms of news, say there was, um, I, I, I could see, I could come, I could think of a few examples perhaps where it could still. It, it depends what the article's about, but yeah, in terms of unbiased news, where I'm just kind of getting the, no, not unbiased news, but I'm um, in terms of the article that I'm reading and probably is trying to pull me through some like logical tunnel to get to some argument or some kind of, uh, and uh, you know. Um, uh, persuasive like conclusion it's probably more the evidence and how it's presented in that article rather than the character person like I probably don't go um, someone's giving the presentation the first thing I do is think about the character the presenter before they give me the presentation that's extremely mm -hmm. unfair to the presenter um, of course we do do that but yeah that's pretty interesting because it does that's actually really interesting because we try to be super unbiased in some contexts especially in terms of the, the source of the material, but we try to be, but we're extremely biased in other contexts, especially in terms yeah. of the entertainment aspect, where mm -hmm. what's the great, there's got to be some gradient there, right? There's got to be something that is halfway between a entertainment and a, a research paper. And at this mm -hmm. point, how do we behave? How do we consume this content? Who do we ask? Um, yeah, that's, that's actually really interesting. I, I sort of struggle to find something that I'm not sure what it. I'm not sure what is. both itches. You know, like I mean, yeah. research is entertaining in its own way. It is fulfilling, and your know, fulfillment is is entertaining in its own way. Um, okay, what about this? What about you could do like a podcast that is about scientific discoveries, but because you're tuned to it based on the entertainment, the recommendation. I don't know because the, it's mm -hmm. it's addressing some specific scientific discoveries. But scientific discoveries they address are based on what those people like, and so mm -hmm. it might make you, it might, you know, discuss about the science of creationism. Uh, that's quite extreme, but it's like, you know, you could find evidence that creationism maybe was real. And so it's like, you know. Yeah, I think I think that's my main concern, exactly, is, is that um, when it comes to very important topics, you know, um, I'm very wary of being presented something that's, you know, very damaging, but being presented it in an entertaining, engaging way, such that I, like, start believing it. So, uh, like, you can imagine yourself starting to believe in creationism, for example, especially if you, if you're still young and learning about the uh, world, um, learning about the basics of the world. Obviously, we're all learning about the world. Um, if you get presented with a very well spun narrative about mm -hmm. any topic whatsoever, you're likely to believe it, right? Like, you don't really have the, to begin with, you don't really have the capacity to continue the critical thinking. Uh, but there's also like, you know, things that speak to your, the logical side of your brain and like, you know, subliminal sort of like emotional side of your brain. And if somebody tells you a story that uh, really affects your emotional side, you can often ignore the logical side of it. 
uh, as well. Yeah, I, I think that it's just to kind of maybe reinterpret it a bit. I think that especially early on, especially when you're younger, humans appeal more towards a narrative, a story. There's something in a story, especially that seems to be quite consistent across humans, and there's a reason why we tell stories. And mm-hmm. so, I G, yeah, I E, you, I G, I E, you could um, spin a story, and it's definitely. I mean, podcasts in a sense, our conversation here to someone is sort of like a story too, mm-hmm. and it's a lot mm-hmm. more consumable and seems to be and more entertaining. Yeah. Whereas I, I do not see a ten-year-old, the average ten-year-old, forming a logical like a logical argument in their head as to whether they should be consuming this podcast or not, whether this material and fact-checking mm-hmm. material and thinking through whether mm-hmm. this is uh, logical. Um, that seems like something you sort of develop and decide to revert to sort of with kind of a bit of effort, you know? Yeah, I think it, it is taught. Right. It's not even about development. It's about like hundreds of years of development in education practices that have has, like, it's not a natural thing for most humans to yeah. rely on logical deduction. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and so in, in that sense, I don't know, it kind of does raise uh, a kind of interesting thing that we could do also is, you know, we very much could be placing ourselves right now in an echo chamber, especially concerning those that would be interested in this material. I know this is entertainment, but like mm-hmm. one thing I always find interesting is finding key pieces or key points from other sides of arguments and looking at them, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. to get a feel for what it's like to be on the other side of the argument. Like, you know, I always, you know, it's like, especially think of your worst, think of your, the polar opposite of your political alliance and Mm -hmm. imagine them, like, no, the frame I always say is imagine someone told you that science is completely wrong, right? That science is incorrect. You would denounce that heavily, right? You, like you would say a lot of the success we have right now is built off a scientific framework, Mm -hmm. but I could see the drawn analogy of someone up to, a someone that believes heavily in creationism and you told them creationism is wrong, right? They would denounce that heavily based on, you know, how they've been brought up and stuff. And so I do think it's kind of interesting if just, you know, it could be an interesting route is just to look at some, both both sides and, you know, you, you kind of see what I'm That's saying. actually a really interesting idea. I quite like that. So, for example, opening, uh, I don't know, like, Breitbart or something and picking like the top article looking into it and you know like it's a very visceral reaction you get like you read like something like Trump will Trump was sent by God and will save the country something else, right like mm-hmm. you just your brain immediately shuts off you don't really consider it um, and it sort of like feels righteous to a point right like you feel good about not being as naive as the people who believe that right you you use somehow feel superior to them in that like you know you don't hold these beliefs but it's exactly i think these feelings which are very deeply ingrained into us that cause the biggest problems at the moment i think uh we may have talked about like I mean, I mentioned the echo chambers and like, you know, uh, polarization is obviously a big thing in the world throughout. We see it a lot in America, but it's definitely 
happening in a lot of places and it's exactly this um, refusal to consider you know these opposing views that lead to, to this divide between people so this could be actually a very interesting segment or part of, of the podcast in which like you try to find an outrageous belief that is held by a lot of people because obviously you know like there's individuals who hold completely invisible things uh beliefs and you try to understand where they're coming from and how one can hold such a belief right uh, something that immediately comes to mind is like flat earth mm-hmm. it's like what is the sequence of steps that you take such that you are convinced that the earth is flat for example yeah essentially putting yourself in the shoes of a flat earth mm-hmm. how would and and it, yeah it, yeah i think um yeah because i do feel like every single time that you 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 describe the response pretty well in terms of when you open an article or read a post or something that's completely opposite to your your viewpoints and you just you know you just throw it you actually you might even show it to friends to mm-hmm. further you know <laughs> um uh, uh feed the the, the kind of the ego or something but um yeah mm-hmm. but every time that happens that rift gets a little bit larger in terms of the polarity of the two situations right that you're mm-hmm. definitely not helping bring those two together like the way to tell someone to stop believing in flat earth is to not tell them they're wrong obviously wrong there's or no way in hell that's going yeah right mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no mm-hmm. way in hell that's going to happen likewise the way to get someone to stop believing in science or stop stop falling through with science uh, whatever i mean whatever believing in science okay is to tell them science is wrong right so it's a, that's an interest it's an interesting problem and maybe one yeah maybe one approach is what you mentioned is you look into the material, think about, yeah, reason over it, and uh, see see where it takes you, see what it's, see what it's like, to um, to kind of be on that side of the argument for a moment. Yeah. Um, now, I, you know, as as a person who spends a fair amount of time doing like a scientific subject, uh, I do you know, think that science does come out on top in the end, and like, I do think there's a correct answer to a, a, a lot of these questions uh, about things. Flat Earth is a, is a very extreme thing, but like, even something like vaccine causing autism is like, you know, there are studies out there which are 99.9% certainly fake that say that uh, autism causes, uh, sorry, uh, vaccines cause autism. Um, and I've only ever relied on somebody else telling me whether they're fake or not, right? I don't have the time to, to, to spend, uh, to actually read through the study, learn the, uh, according, um, you know, science behind it to actually validate for, for myself. Actually, a, a, a better, uh, example here is something that I got really into for some reason. It's like, um, you know what a speedrun is, right? The speedrun of a game. Yeah. Yeah, so some maybe, people recently. Yeah, may, maybe just briefly 
Okay, yeah, fair enough. So a speedrun of a game is trying to uh, take a game and complete it as fast as possible, utilizing any allowed methods. There's obviously like different categories that allow you to abuse different aspects of the game. Uh, but yeah, the just a, a speedrun is like from the start of the game, a completely new sort of game. To the end of the game, how quickly, quickly can you go through that, right? Uh, there's um, it's gotten quite big in recent years. Um, like there's uh, whole events surrounding like these completions of of uh, speedruns to the point where like Minecraft speedrunning uh, gets tens of millions of views regularly. Like speedruns. Speedrun attempts. It's gotten quite popular. There's like actual money involved in it because you know, like 10 million views on YouTube is actual amounts of money. I don't know what it, like how much it is, but I'm guessing in the tens or maybe hundreds of thousands. Um, and somebody recently uh, exposed one of the uh, most popular Minecraft YouTube speedrunners for having cheated on their speedrun by manipulating the probabilities of certain events happening. Right? Interesting. So, uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with stati statistics at the moment, so I was like, oh, that's really interesting, let me get into that, right? And they published, like, 19-page papers uh, of, like, what the, of the statistical analysis of the events that uh, happened. Uh, like during a series of live streams of this person trying to complete the game as, as quickly as possible and came to the conclusion that it is so incredibly uh improbable that he experienced those uh you know sequences of events it's it's like you know me flipping a coin and getting heads like ten thousand times in a row mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh that they, they presume that the coin was biased right like they, they presume that he somehow manipul manipulated the coin to uh, make the odds more in his favor. Now, I'm studying this at, you know, a master's level at the moment, so you'd presume that I would be able to dive into this and, you know, like, really understand it. Uh, but I still had to rely on other people to see whether, like, the analysis is correct or not. Because obviously the person uh you know double down and said like no no this analysis is, is incorrect here's another analysis and it was really difficult for me to understand which analysis is correct even though like i'm more or less specializing in this subject so it was like a very interesting thing first of all like i i found the whole thing interesting like i'm a fan of speedrunning i've been getting into minecraft recently so like it was it was it was sort of fun to see it combined with what i'm studying but it's also really showed me how much I, and I think most people rely on other people to tell you whether something is correct or not. It's very rare that you really drill down on something and like look at the basic units that you are absolutely certain about to verify with 100% certainty that something is, is correct or not. Mm -hmm. Especially when you have at your disposal those basic units. I, in the case of you, you're within the field that you're working in and studying, you uh, you know, you have the capacity to uh, maybe try to tackle this problem yourself or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, rather than verifying it, you know, 
quanta, uh, current quantum mechanics is correct and you don't know anything about it right but but mm -hmm. yeah no I, I do I do find that that's actually a good point we do yeah we do rely very much on the conclusions of other people and then we you know regurgitate those conclusions um, and there's a there's a there's a push or shelf here give or take because you know there's a certain effort required to reproduce the conclusion of someone else like I've especially led lately a lot more towards the direction this this might be a little different but just to kind of jump on a tangent really fast because I want to go back to this because it's really interesting this discussion on speed running but like I used to be very especially in software development I used to be very heavily um, drawn towards recon um, starting from atomic units almost in a sense reconstructing a lot of um, methods, approaches, algorithms and things from the ground up to build a project mm -hmm. that really my goal was much higher level than just being able to implement these algorithms. Um, but the time required to actually get to that point was um, much longer. Whereas lately I've shifted to this point where actually I'm even just cutting and pasting other people's code, pulling, mm -hmm. um, you know, pre-trained systems or pre-written pre algorithms are really fast and using these as units and I take them for granted this is a bit more maybe of a, these are these are more algorithms but I take for granted these systems do what I want to do and just use these systems out of the box without understanding them um, but I, I and so that's and so I'm kind of actually find that more useful in terms of getting to getting to build systems that are kind of at a higher level on top of these kind of um, mm -hmm. low level systems and so what I'm thinking of the reason why I'm talking about that is what I'm thinking of is there's these conclusions that we take for granted and there's an advantage to taking these conclusions for for granted because we can build on top of them say okay well if this if this is correct if you say that um, say for example I'm trying not to think of something logical actually um, here because it could be a little different but because um, logical conclusions could necessarily be like actually no but your the example that you gave was still sort of a I mean, maybe you can explain a bit more, but it was still sort of a, a, a rigorous sort of statistical analysis of my of Minecraft, but I guess it was subject to error because someone else had to kind of correct it or say you weren't. Uh, I was presented with two different uh, analyses, right? <laughs> and I could have sat down, read through both pages, which is a combined 30 pages or something like that uh, across the two reports. And I could have like sat down and worked through the equations, which is high school level math. I think it it's just like binomial distribution considerations with some you know sampling simulations that maybe like first or second year of, of, of uni. Not something that requires a lot of, of tutoring. And I could have mm. come to the conclusion myself, right? But you know, like I could excuse it as like I had more important things to do and that's why I didn't you know really go into it but I was obviously interested in, in that like and was invested in seeing the outcome and therefore like the somewhat logical thing would have been for me to actually you know really drill deep into it and understand what the truth is in, in this particular thing uh, I still resorted uh, into like seeing what uh, faults other people find in either of these things and then like going into into these faults and, and understanding them and seeing whether I'm convinced by them or not mm -hmm. right so like still 
there's still the possibility of me just not uh, me having come to the wrong conclusion just by virtue of not like really diving deep enough into this topic and uh, understanding it properly and um, this is something that uh, has really been in, in, in the back of my mind for a while now of like I, I worked with uh, a friend of mine who's just like incredibly good at scientific topics who really does not take anything for granted he really drills down into topics and is like I will not believe this thing in, until I know for certain from basic principles that uh, this is so right I do not rely on other people telling me that something is so until I've verified it for myself and I can see how that in the scientific context this helps me helps him immensely right like he's able to do things that I would not be able to do just because of the fact that he really spends the time to deconstruct things understand the basics of it and like recombine them again maybe in in different uh, ways um, so like ever since working with him I've, I've been trying to be aware of whenever I do that uh, for myself and um, thinking about you know like w what is the best approach because th there's definitely uh, the aspect of like I don't want to write all the code from you know from scratch right I want to just copy paste the code and build on top of that yeah. like it sort of feels like when you're rewriting something that somebody else has already done that's really unsatisfactory right mm -hmm. uh, but also by not understanding what this chunk of code you're getting really does and just taking it for granted you're missing out on a lot of potential uh, to maybe modify the code in, in, in a way that, that's more helpful to your efforts. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're missing out. Um, yeah, you're missing out on uh, lower level understanding. Of, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're, you're also potentially building, maybe this doesn't work in terms of, yeah, maybe this analogy does work, but you're also essentially building in the wrong direction. You know, you could just be stuck somewhere else and you can't even go back. You know, once you start building off of that, mm -hmm. that way and then maybe in terms of like building off of say you're 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 starting your research project and you build it off of prior work and you just start at the foundation of the prior work uh, without maybe understanding that deeply you know a, a sequence mm -hmm. of these papers could essentially go east whereas you really want to be going west right and mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and uh, or if you find yourself at a dead end um or a or just like a bubble or a loop um and I, I just want to try, well, actually, I feel like we're kind of actually at our time here, but yeah, let's stop the topic, but um, another thing, I really want to try and cleanly define this, because I don't feel it's quite cleanly defined in terms of, we're talking about kind of, we've got two things here we're discussing. One was we started off by talking about um, this in the context of knowledge and kind of opinions and beliefs and even entertainment. And then we also mm -hmm. came into this side of, there's also this kind of more logical side, a scientific side of like, you know, results and belief in, and whether you trust results and, and conclusions that people make and whether you should build off these conclusions or, or re, rebuild those conclusions yourself. And these mm -hmm. two, they seem close right now to me, but they don't seem to be completely, um, the, 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 the bridge between the two and how they're connected 
what's the difference between the two and whether there is a difference doesn't seem to be quite clear um, yet, mm -hmm. but we could leave that to talk about for the next time. Yeah, so I think I, I will try to sort of wrap up things by synthesizing how I really would like to, like, I think, I think for me the essence of what I'd like to do with this podcast is look at the process of trial and error and appreciate the error aspect of it while still um, finding how it contributes to the end goal, right? Like, um, I've, talk, I've, I've talked about this idea of like, you know, we should value mistakes more, we should leave mistakes in, we shouldn't censor everything and just present the final product. Mm. Uh, but obviously, you know, just like glorifying mistakes of like, your end goal is the mistake, does not work in you achieving whatever you want to achieve because you, you just keep on making mistakes for, for the sake of, of mistakes. So I guess a uh, uh, um, uh, line through like the topics we're talking about and like our exploration of these things that I would be really, really be keen to continue is like, how do you utilize past mistakes while not like, you know, being ashamed of them and not like brushing them aside to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Mm -hmm. right? um, so that's maybe like a third thing that I'm introducing rather than a bridge over the yeah. over the two things that, that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think as we're out of time, it may be worth just wrapping up uh, here and then maybe continuing the topic next time. Yeah, let's uh, wrap up here. Any, no, I don't actually... Fun. I don't have actually anything to add, but I think that um, what we should look at and look fun to discuss would be what maybe we we I think we need to um, it would be nice to us we need to kind of rather than saying this maybe we come up with a few examples and structures and give this a go in terms mm -hmm. of you know uh, finding a few examples of uh, where we can. Um, I mean, we said, because it's kind of like, I feel this is like, it's a kind of a two-stage sort of meta thing we're doing, where we're both, we talked about at the beginning, we're going through this podcast, and we're going to correct ourselves, and in that sense, we're actually mm -hmm. doing the process, and then also we're going to actually um, glaringly present it, in the sense that we could even digest some material on the spot, and go through the process of mm -hmm. re- how how it's presented the background and and uh, even coming to our own conclusions with some examples that we choose to choose, to, mm -hmm. choose to. um so kind of that though both that's kind of what you mean right both of those things yeah i think i think, I think both are really worth and would be very fun to to um play around with yeah so yeah i think we can we can just try them both out in the yeah, next couple of episodes and, and then let's make a decision.